Shaq Blackjack. Oh, come on. <laughs> Shaq Blackjack. <laughs> Live-action Blackjack game featuring stadium-style seating with a live dealer and exciting side bets. Is this a real Count thing? Count me in. Yeah, it's at the parks. Oh, wow. It's one of their big draws. Craziness. Um, Shaq, would you like to play Blackjack <laughs> with me, Shaq? Shaq. <laughs> That was a good Shaq impression. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. The Profane Argument is a podcast for secularists, freethinkers, agnostics, and atheists. We discuss topics that we think are relevant to non-believers. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the 4th Profane Arguments Podcast. My name is Ray, and along with me are... Hi, I'm Karen. I'm Jared. This is Ian. And today we've got a few things that uh, we definitely want to talk about. We've got some big news that happened, but I think just right off, we, we try and start with a couple questions for everyone to answer. And this week I have a few questions that we always seem to encounter, and by we, I mean atheists, seem to encounter whenever we somebody finds out that you are an atheist. They always have questions concerning what your beliefs are and why you think the way you do. So I'm going to pose a few of the ones that are always asked, and we'll see what what kind of answers we come up with. Hopefully we can find a little bit of divergency. Um, so the first question that it seems to always come up is when somebody finds out you're an atheist, they ask, what do you think happens when we die? Because it always seems that, you know, if you're a Christian, you always think that there is a heaven or a hell and there's a soul. But as an atheist, that's obviously that doesn't really apply. So what do you think happens when you die? So I'll start. My Catholic roommate in college asked me that the one time. We used to have, you know, liquor-charged conversations. So I just went straight for worms eat you, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was always uh, the, the, the joke between us. So they, well, at least worms aren't going to eat me. I'm, like, mm, I'm pretty sure they are. You know? <laughs> so it, it depends on who you're talking to. I think somebody asked me that as, as, as I was about to get a medical test, and I, my answer was slightly different. kind of depends on where you are. Well, what was that? <laughs> I think, I don't even remember what I went with, but it was something a little gentler than that because she was, you know, about to take a body part of mine and squish it in a machine, so. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story there somewhere. <laughs> Tend to be a little bit more polite to the medical profession. Yes, yes. I don't even remember what I went with. Something about the golden rule, I think, and, you know, one never knows kind of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, anything? Oh, when I'm asked what happens when we die, I usually yeah. go with the same exact thing that happened when I wasn't here before I was born. Nothing. Nothing happens. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, well, I also like to, I usually say to them too, is like, look, I would love there to be other, something else to happen because I like living and I would like to continue to at least be conscious, but I seriously just don't think anything happens. And I think it's just the lights are out and that's it. Anything to add, Ian? No, other than, than – because it's, I, I agree that it's just that simple. I, I know that that's hard for some people to work through, but I, I agree that it's just that simple. You know, again, somewhat like Jared, my hope is that, you know, maybe maybe only the soul part is true and everything else is still false and I get to be a ghost and I get to haunt the living. <laughs> but uh, that would get tedious. I think I'd rather just stop existing. <laughs> like I, I, I wouldn't want to be around for, you know – immortality that sounds exhausting 
I would enjoy some higher plane bullshit if that were true. You know, <laughs> you you elevate to something else. That would be great. But, but I think the the you know the acceptance of that there's probably nothing gonna else happen, and knowing that this is the only life you get, that's a little. It's terrifying, but it's also freeing because it allows you to live this life fully, and you know absorb all of the life that you can instead of you know you know hedging your bets and waiting for the next life right so a follow-up question that is normally asked is what if you're wrong what if there is a heaven surprise (laughs) (laughs) i can be wrong that's all right yeah i was gonna say i'm comfortable with being wrong and i don't know isn't there don't you have some sort of like forgiveness clause in your religion to let you sneak in there at the last minute yeah but i think what they're saying is is that is that once you're dead and you find out you're wrong like what can you do about it i'm in hell for whatever reason (laughs) oh you're not and have you lived a good life have you lived by the golden rule have you you know not murdered anybody then well what i don't i don't even know all the mortal sins so i don't know if i've committed any of them i haven't killed anybody i can (laughs) i'd like that on record I don't know. Jesus, according to the Bible, Jesus said that the only unforgivable sin is denying of the Holy Spirit. So I think oh, well, we're all go. guilty. So yeah. there you go. Oh, well. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I'll but take again, a risk. That, comes, that bleeds into the whole idea of what are your beliefs? What do you think gets you into heaven? And right. then, you know, you have to break it down into the Christian beliefs, and then there are 80 different types of qualifiers, depending on what sect you're in. And, and then, you know, well, if it's the Muslim heaven, then I'm I'm not getting in. And <laughs> <laughs> so last, I think I'm going to stop with this one because it's, it's always, it comes up all the time. Without God, where do you get your morality from? <laughs> I hate that one. <laughs> it does come up a lot. The, I don't know. Actually, the, the denial of secular morality really scares me by far the, out of all <laughs> those questions. Like the idea that the only thing that's keeping these people from just going wild and just killing and raping and doing whatever they want all the time is 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 the idea that there's some sort of celestial father figure that's going to punish them if they get caught. Like, that's bad times. Well, that's the funny thing is that I don't – when I do mention that I'm an atheist, the question that I am asked the most is what is either – there's it's just two of them is why aren't you just out killing and stealing then? <laughs> like, immediately they ask me that or why don't you just kill yourself every time? And, I, and to the – uh, killing and stealing i'm like because i'm a good person and i don't want to kill people like what you know and it goes back to what ian just said i'm like jesus is that the only thing stopping you from doing that shit <laughs> exactly you know? and the second is you know why don't you kill yourself if it doesn't mean anything i'm like because this is my only shot and i want to hold on to it as long as possible i like living so the funny yeah. thing is the, the next two questions on this list is if there is no god can we do what we want are we free to murder and rape now think about this this is a christian site are we free to murder and rape? <laughs> this pretty much Negative. insinuates that that's what you want to do. Well, it's it's the abdicating responsibility. You, you you've given you you've, you've given a literal father father figure the ability to give set down the rules that you live that you live your life by instead of coming up with your own rules. My rules in my head say don't kill people, and I have come around to this <laughs> by the golden rule: you do unto others as they would do unto you. That's a pretty good rule to live by. I'm okay with that one. But if you if you abdicate responsibility, it's ta-da, free for all. Do whatever I want. It's wrong. Yeah, that's that's some wild, wild stuff. Uh, let's get into the the first news thing that has been. I mean, we've been they've been hitting on it in the media quite a bit, kind of tangentially. In that we still only have eight justices, obviously, 
and a justice has been nominated, but there's a whole bunch of shenanigans going on with that, uh, mainly the Republicans not wanting to even have a vote, which I don't understand, it. but anyway, we can get into that as well. But the thing that really caught my eye was the Supreme Court has a case that they are supposed to, I think it's actually Wednesday, they are supposed to have uh, verbal arguments. It is the Zubuk versus Burwell, which is a case regarding birth control. This is kind of a follow-up case to the original Hobby Lobby, Burwell versus Hobby Lobby, right. which, if you remember, was a case that basically allowed not just churches, but stores, any privately owned business to deny birth control via the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. So Obamacare says that, that you can get birth control, that you can get, and it's not just birth control, but other... Contraceptive care? Right. And so the Hobby Lobby allows you to op opt out of that. So you don't have to provide that to your employees because it's your religious belief that contraception is bad for whatever reason. But this case is actually saying that it was brought up that what the corporations have to do is submit a two-page form to opt out, and that makes them immune to the, to the rules of the Affordable Care Act. But the argument is that that is too much of a burden on the corporation, and that they it just needs to be struck out of the Affordable Care Act completely. Filling out the form is too much? Yes. Correct. <sighs> Why? So what do they really want? It's a burden. Well, I think what they want is they, they don't want the federal government to be covering any sort of birth control, contraception, anything. I think that's I, – I, my assumption is that is the goal. But if they get it stru stricken out, doesn't the whole thing go too? Meaning do they have to start over again or is that already in place if they just want this whole thing about the two-page document? So this new case concerns the federal rules that are intended to expand women's access to birth control. So – well, let's make this clear. This is not just women's access to birth control. This is a family's access to birth control. Well, it is. That, yeah. Very good point. But it also includes somehow, and I'm not exactly sure how, but it also has listed forms of uh, childhood immunizations, cancer screenings, and contraception. So it is, it is health care. Health care for women. Hobby Lobby held that the employers who object to birth control on religious grounds can refuse to offer health plans that cover such treatment. Under this alternative, under this one, religious objectors may either comply with the birth control rules or fill out a two-page form. And the alternative, what they're, what they're coming up with, this argument, is that they don't want to fill out the two-page form. They think that that is too much of a burden. So the, the way the law is written is that you can make a corporation or whatever comply with the rules as long as those rules aren't too burdensome upon that corporation. So they want a checkbox instead of filling out a two-page two form. Birth control, yes Correct. or no? Okay. Right. They well, don't, well they, don't want to have, they don't want to have to justify anything. They just want to say, no, you can't have this. Hmm. The two-page form would, would cause them to write an entire paragraph about why they think that women should be denied the right to birth control through whatever insurance plan they provide. Aren't there better fights to fight? I mean, what the fuck? This is in the Supreme Court. Yeah. This th th tying up our bullshit with their bullshit. This is crazy. Oh, that fucking annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's just thinking, you know, the Supreme Court is supposed to be handling the big shit. This is not big shit. How did it even get this far? What the fuck is going on in this country? <laughs> 
Well, and you think <laughs> about you think about the the, the the short-sighted business owners too. I mean, former employers who would have to save that five dollars a month per employee or ten dollars a month, whatever it would be, would check the box and just make up shit because it would save them ten dollars. So it, it it makes it so that any company could do it, not just religious religious exemption. You don't even have to justify yourself at this point. That's what they're asking for. Right. And not only that, but the, the new case, the Zubik versus Burwell, would actually set a precedent that nearly anything at that point could become too burdensome. All they right. would have to do is say, no, that's too much. Mm. Yep. And, I mean, that would open the door for any sort of religious belief to, like, anti-gay, anything. They can just say, no, that's it's too much for us because my religion says no, and filling out your paperwork is also against my religion, apparently. Hmm. Well, could this snowball into other non-religious things, too, and just be like, oh, that tax shit? That's hmm. way too burdensome. We don't even want to do that anymore. <laughs> like, well, I, think, I don't know. I think it specifically is regarding religious beliefs. I, there, oh, is it? Okay, yeah, well, yeah, thanks. Abs- that's From good. what I understand. Well, I mean, it's not an economic question because it is way more economic to give women birth control. I mean, having babies is expensive, right, Ian? Uh, yeah, I would say yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, not to mention, again, not that we offer uh, maternity leave and things like that in this country. <laughs> True. But, you know, theoretically, that that could could be some a long-term cost that they're not considering. But I guess that could be too burdensome, too. Mm. But that's that's another point of this issue, I, again, which I would have to defer to you, Karen, because mm. you know, as a middle-aged white man, I'd have to ask you, like, how does it feel to be at the bottom of the like the bottom rung of the ladder? <laughs> You're a giant piece of shit, Karen. <laughs> I know it's terrible. It was- like, blacks are better than you. Gays are better than you. Man, yeah. being a woman is ass. <laughs> at times, it is. Yeah. Because we are, you know, we're we're paid less. We're considered to not have a full opinion on things that affect us absolutely directly. So yeah, it, at times it really blows. Yeah, especially that last Ray, part. Yeah, Ray, can you the only thing that's what she true? just said? What's that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, asked if, I asked if Ray could mansplain that for me. What she just said. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say the only part that I would say where that statement is true is when it comes to professional sports. When it comes to professional sports. I think your opinion does not count. All other things, I think you're the best. <laughs> well, I don't know. Professional sports. What professional sport? I mean, you know. Football. That, yeah, okay. NFL football. End of list. <laughs> All right. On that, I individually could care less. So, yes, <laughs> my opinion does not matter. But I bet there are women out there that know more about football than you do. No dice. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard him talk about football. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he knows all or everything about football, there are other women out there that do know as much then. As much. Not likely. <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story is, yeah, this is this is shocking, you know, for, for all the aforementioned reasons. I, I, I don't know how something like this snowballs its way up to the Supreme Court. Mm. I don't know why we as a society still feel the need to, you know, dominate the lives of women. That's that's fantastic. And yeah, I'm really scared that this this new too much of a that. Yeah, you're right. Everything is now too much of a burden. Is this where it's rooted? Is this just a another attempt to pick apart the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act and, and dissolve it? That could that could very well be. I, I personally I see it more of a Christian backlash to mm-hmm. the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act was found offensive by a lot of the fundamentalist Christians because it 
forced contraception onto them. It forced well, them to allow contraception to be given to their employees, which apparently they would rather keep keep that out of their hands. It's a way to remind us that they're still around and they still want shit. Well, it, it's also it's also the the new methodology they've been using. I mean, they've been using it with the abortion clinics recently too. They, they don't attack them directly that you know abortion is wrong. They say, well, for the safety of the woman, you have to do all these other tests, and for the safety of the woman, you have to do this invasive test. And they just push a little bit further every time, and it's just it's more of that of trying to change it by nibbling away at it just a little bit at a time instead of trying to do it all at once because the all at once was failing. Yeah, look, Ian, they couldn't shut down Parent Planerhood. They need something. Yeah, right? They yeah. have something to do. <laughs> now, the good the good thing is the Hobby Lobby decision was 5-4. And since that time, Antonin Scalia has died. Hmm. So, right. And obviously he was part of the five. So that means that in the Hobby Lobby with the people that are there now, it would be a 4-4 split. And now here's the good part. Well, there's two good parts. Yeah, it might be four four split. I mean, was it Kennedy's? He goes right. both ways. I'm, I'm, get, so. I'm getting to that. <laughs> oh, okay. so, so yeah, the, it would be a four four split. Except two things. One, if it is a four four split, that means it falls back, and the Hobby Lobby decision is still in place, which means they still have to fill out the form. Which means at least people who are stuck in the position of working for a church or a Hobby Lobby or whatever can still get the medical benefits straight from the government. Mm. However, the other good thing is Kennedy, during the Hobby Lobby verbal argument, said that he was uncomfortable with the idea that religious objectors have sweeping power to limit other people's rights. Mm. So that sounds like that would, this would actually be a 5-3 decision in the 8C court. So it seems like it's not likely, but it's still, if it were to happen, is just incredibly scary. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's like you said. I mean, it's maddening that this is before the Supreme Court. This is the, yeah. These are the things we're arguing about. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and I don't know when the shift was in this country that corporations became these precious, fragile things that need to be protected and have rights and all this bullshit. Mm. But, man, oh, <laughs> that's all I have to say. Oh. <laughs> all right. On to bigger and far, far worse things. Mm. Karen, you want to lead in with this? So in the news today, Belgium has exploded, literally. It seems that Molenbeek, which is a suburb of Brussels, has been the center of a jihadist insurgency in Belgium. So I had to look at Google Maps. I wasn't exactly sure where Belgium was, so I looked it up, and now I know where Belgium <laughs> is, so I've learned something today. But um, <laughs> Well, and it's not really... I, th I didn't think it was really a suburb, but I thought it was like a district within Brussels. That, that's fair. Or am yeah. I wrong in that? No, I, It's I, completely I, new to me today, today yeah. so I'm not trying to show off knowledge. <laughs> I'm just... No, I, I Google mapped it, and it is, it's just a quadrant of Belgium, yes. Okay. But it's a poor you know, traditional ghetto type area of Belgium where the Muslims have all concentrated either by force or by, you know, I don't know if it's by choice or by force, that I don't know. But there is there is a, a significant issue in Molenbeek. And that is, I, get the, I get the impression that it is by choice, that mm -hmm. it is a culture that did not, that wanted to stay together. That, well, I mean, you maybe think that's about, just my impression, but yeah. When you you think about town, you know, the Chinatown, the, the ubiquitous Chinatown in many American cities, and even the Chinatown has it, it's a, it's still mixed. There are right. Chinese markets, but people still live side by side. This is not like that. 
This is all of the non-Islamic businesses, especially the Jewish ones, were pushed out by young, angry men. It's more like the Hasidic Jews in New York. They're a very mm. tight community in a very small section of town. Mm. But, I mean, the, the unemployment is rampant, especially in the youth. Um, people don't, the dropout rate is 40 to 50 percent. And so recruiters coming from Syria, uh, this is the perfect breeding ground for people to blow things up. And I don't under, I don't understand how they convince them of this, but um, it, when I guess you have no hope and you have no work and you have no future, somehow that looks good? I don't know. This was the, the place that we're talking about is is where I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly, Abdeslam, the individual the who was part of the attack in Paris. He was just arrested a few days ago, four days ago. And he, that's where he was from. He was uh, trafficking drugs originally with his brother, but they both got involved in the Paris attacks. And there's a lot of missing information there as to what happened in between there, how they became radicalized in order to do these attacks. But he had been hiding out in Malenbeck evidently for four months, and no one had, no one had turned him in. So this is an, you know, an enclave that protected him, and presumably a decent number of them knew he was there. And are they saying this was a retaliation for him being uh, arrested? It's a speculation, yeah. Oh, so they don't know for sure. Okay. No. I mean, supposedly uh, it was in the news that he was talking to officials, and that might have been a signal <clears throat> to do it now because this is the only opportunity you're going to get. Yeesh. Yeah. So according to the article that I'm going to put up, the, the children in this area grow up completely isolated mm. from the world outside of their local area. That their local area contains halal butcher shops. Almost all women are wearing a hijab. It is a completely Islamic-focused area. And the problem with that, I've heard this phrase recently that has kind of stuck with me, is that diversity causes division. Mm -hmm. And it's this group, whether it's their fault or not, I'm not going to argue. I mean, it could easily be that they've been ostracized from the rest of, of Brussels. But this group has been completely restricted into themselves. They, they, don't, they haven't integrated into society at all. Mm -hmm. And the shops and restaurants, they stopped selling alcohol. Islamic bookshops have multiplied. And Jewish shops have moved out of the area, supposedly after being threatened by hostile young men. Mm. So they don't, they don't mingle with any of the other Belgians. They just are their own tight-knit community. Right. So, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote something from Majid Nawaz in a book that he co-authored. He says, there are four elements that exist in all forms of ideological recruitment. A grievance narrative, real or perceived, an identity crisis, a charismatic recruiter, and an ideological dogma. Mm. So what is happening here is you have a grievance narrative in that there's a complete lack of employment. These kids don't have really any prospects, you know, that they can see. And then they have this identity crisis Within themselves, you have a recruiter that has come in here from Syria who talks to them, gets them fired up, and gives them dogma to follow. Gives them a purpose in life, yeah. Exactly. So However, I think that's very fitting, and I, I agree with what Majid Nawaz has to, to say about that. But, I, it, I mean, it perfectly fits the scenario. And to be clear, these are not, you know, these are people that were born in Belgium. These are, are not recent refugees from somewhere else. These are, These are kids that grew up in a place where it should be possible for them to integrate in. But it's something that actually happens, I think, a lot more in Europe. I think when people come to America as refugees, they're integrated into the society for the most part. They might have ties with other people that come from the same place they come from, but they lived side by side with everybody else. 
But I don't think that happens as much in Europe, though. I think this is the consequence right. of that. I was going to say, are, are these type communities more prevalent in Europe? Yes. Is this, are they more prevalent? Is this in any way a reflection on Islam? Are they, you know, again, maybe, because, you know, I, I, I get fed the same type news that most other Americans get. And integrating and going with the flow doesn't seem to be their jam, so to speak. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, think, I don't know exactly how it's worded. Like, but... they show up and they tell you how everything that you're doing is wrong mm-hmm. and how you should change it to fit their beliefs. Yes. And there's a part in the Quran that says that you can pretend to be the friend of a non-Islamic, but um, in reality, what you should be doing is trying to convert them. Wow. Yeah, we can get into the whole, um, is, is Islam worse than every other religion? But I think in its well, current... Probably not worse, but... In its current... Maybe at the moment. <laughs> yes, that's the thing. At this point in time, the the <sighs> Islam that's being practiced in these areas, yes, worse. I mean, it, it, is your Muslim neighbor down the street, the, the how she's practicing worse? No. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I, wouldn't I would agree with Karen on a whole. Yeah, it's worse the present yeah. day. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I know Muslims that they, they, they. I hope that they're not trying to pretend to be my friend and convert me. They're certainly not trying to convert me. Mm. They're very nice people. Well, it's all about how do you deal with what's in your book. I was uh, reading something on uh, Reddit slash atheist today from I don't know his name is Batrock on on Reddit. And if it both a moderate and an and an extremist can justify their actions via their holy texts, then there might be an issue with the text. So I would consider. M- not all, but most Christians nowadays moderates because they don't you know, they they mix fabrics in their clothing because that's in the book. <laughs> you can't do that, right? And they eat shrimp. And they eat shrimp, <laughs> but I think that the Muslim today is much more. It's much closer to the ancient text than Christianity today. Well, I think I I do think it depends. I think there are you know a, a large portion that that may not be the case. The, the the problem is when you have someone who is uh, is an Islamist or a jihadist, you can find sutras that back up their beliefs, that back up their what you know their actions. Now you could do that also with Christianity if you mm-hmm. found someone who you know found out that their wife was cheating on them and took her out into the street and stoned her. You could say, oh well, okay, yeah, he he's obviously backing that up with text from the bible luckily most people have gotten over that and the the reformation of the of christianity has has been fairly widely accepted <laughs> and that's that doesn't seem likely to happen with islam i mean you pretty much have to cherry pick and ignore parts of the quran or the hadiths in order to live in a modern society it seems but the, the same book tells you that you cannot cherry pick and you must follow all of it because it is all the word of god or muhammad so right. I don't, how do you how do you get out of that conundrum? Very carefully, or you just become yeah. an atheist. There you go. Right, I was going to say. <laughs> there you go. You know, uh, why why do the step down method? Because clearly, when you become a more accepted moderate, all that means is you've moved a little bit away from from the the uh, text of the full text of your religion. You've you've allowed you know modern values and you know some amounts of compromise and reason into you know what clearly isn't there. I right. mean, but, you know, go ahead and just whoosh, rip that band-aid off completely. Get <laughs> get even more moderate by becoming 100% reasonable. Well, <laughs> Take I, that next step. Right, because even, even the, the, the moderate Christians that you know, we stand, hold up as an example are, are still – they still cherry-pick out the parts that they don't like. They still don't right. like the gays. So they're, they're still picking out the bits that are they're antisocial, really. Yeah, absolutely. So that – I mean, that's why – 
again, if you're unwilling to, I can see if you're unwilling to go all, if you think going all in is absurd, then, you know, you shouldn't just sit there in the shallow end with your feet hanging in the water. That's, that's, that's inappropriate. You should and just not condemn the people who are going all in. Kind of right. just sit quietly and just be like, "Well, I don't do that." <laughs> right, right. I don't. I don't think that's fair to to not do that and call yourself a practicer of that religion. I mean, you know, and I, I've I've heard that argument many times. I can't be like, you know, I joined the Aryan Brotherhood. <laughs> you know, I'm not really into the whole uh, hating minorities thing, but I really like hanging out with all these fun, like-minded people and doing things. <laughs> they have great bonfires, yeah. They do have great bonfires. <laughs> you haven't had barbecue until you've had Aryan barbecue. <laughs> Yeah, I just ignore the part where they're like, you know, let's let's kill all the Jews. That that's not that's not for me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It just it's it just seems like deluding yourself. It seems like a sad half measure. It seems like when I tell myself I really need to slow down, I should switch to beer. exactly like that's that still doesn't sober me up but i like to believe that it does it's very much like trump supporters because when i brought up the david duke thing and the kkk and and stuff like that to some trump supporters their response is usually i support anybody who supports donald trump (laughs) wow really wow wow yeah yeah and then like maybe it's working at a university but I got I got a complete back down. Like, I, you know, you bring something like that up, and they're like, "Wow, yeah," and then they no, wander I've away. Seen, I've seen. Uh, I don't know if anybody's watched Samantha Bee's new show, Full Frontal. There's plenty of clips on YouTube, uh, but she interviewed uh, some Trump supporters, and this footage may have been edited, but it's doubtful. And she brought up that part, and the one response was, "Well." It's something that we can all agree on, us and the white supremacists. We want Trump. It's bringing the country together. (laughs) I shit you not, look it up. Wow. There are an alarming number of white of closet white supremacists in this country, mm-hmm. or not in the closet white supremacists for that matter. Well, they grew up with a good shtick, you know. They they've had it so well for so long. I don't. I think a lot of people just don't don't want it to change. And and actually, I had a conversation with a, a coworker not that long ago who went down this you know, went down this path of, well, you know, the whites aren't aren't going to be in charge much longer. We have to look out for each other. But before he said this, we work with a, with a guy from India and <laughs> who is Hindu. And before he said this, he actually looked around and made sure that his cubicle was empty before he said it. So he knew that it wasn't <laughs> right what he was saying. He knew, <laughs> but he, he chose, oh, he's not here. I'll say it to you because you're white. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the reason why you have meetings about climate and diversity. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So on a, on a different tip, how do you think that this attack is going to affect us in this great country of the United States? Well, the fear mongering. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, other than, other than fear mongering, increased surveillance, decreased <laughs> freedoms, you know, nothing direct other than people who had friends and relatives in Belgium. That's parts, you know, sad. Mm. You know, it, but, it is sad because the first the the moment I saw that on the news, my first thought was, "Oh, thank God this didn't happen during the general election." <laughs> is my was my first thought because I was <laughs> like, "If that happened, that would be such fodder to get everybody riled up." And they're coming, they're coming here next. Vote for me. I, I forget one of the uh, I, I think it was Trump. He said that uh, <laughs> he he, <laughs> he said that um, the police should actively patrol quote Muslim neighborhoods. Oh, God. And he didn't say in this country or in Belgium, 
but I'm assuming he means here, but I don't know what constitutes a Muslim neighborhood in this country. Right. I was going to say, do we have those? How do you, how do you, I mean, I've, again, like we were discussing, you know, other than, you know, there's some culturally tight knit communities here in the United States, you know, those, there's an occasional Chinatown in a larger city mm-hmm. or the Greek section of town, things of, things of that nature. I used to live in an apartment building where one half was clearly Koreans and the other half was clearly Indians. And I was, you know, that was just like one floor and it really smelled odd in the <laughs> elevator. But, you know, I, I get to get in Muslim neighborhood. I, I wouldn't know. Well, maybe they define neighborhood by one house and I am patrolling the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to sit outside your house. <laughs> just find the local mosque and do circles around it, you know, assuming that yeah, they're right. all hanging out close by. Well, that's, a, that's something that, you know, we were talking about Brussels and how they, I mean, for the most part, you don't have that separate Muslim community. I mean, not that I've witnessed mm. in America. You, you have a lot more integration. So you don't have the, the likelihood of somebody coming in and, and being radicalized as easily. But in any case, I just uh, I don't see that, like you said, the communities are a little bit more integrated in America. At least they seem to be to me. Yeah. Well, the other part of this, too, that always I can never quite put my finger on it. I, I, I understand the... Part of the purpose is is to create fear in others, but I don't know what you gain from that. You know, setting off a bomb and, and killing infidels, that kills, you know, I think it's up to 34 people, I think, at the moment in Belgium. What, right. does, that, what does that really get you? Well, that's the thing that I, I never understood. I never get have a clear answer as to what they want or why they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's simply, we're killing you because you're infidels, well, that's clear and simple and it's scary as shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is there, there is no way to fix that unless I convert, I guess. But there's there never seems to be a clear answer, right? Yeah. Like what? Like why did the Boston bombing happen? What were those two guys doing? Why did they do it? I know yeah, how I they it. did it. Right. But why? I agree with you. I don't know. I agree with you on all fronts. That's why it's so. I assume that's why it's so difficult to combat. You know that and the fact of if I want to harm any number of people lethally. And I'm willing to sacrifice my own life to achieve that goal. You can't stop me. Mm. Right. You just can't stop me. There's, there's, it's impossible. So again, but to your point, what have I gained? Nothing. Who knows? I have no idea. I mean, it's, I don't think it's convincing people to convert, which should be, according to their book, their, their goal. I don't think that's happening. Well, I think that is actually part of it. They're showing that they can fight back. Showing that there is something that can be done against the Western monster. And possibly the idea that they, they may be wanting to draw the Western, you know, Western Europe and, and the U.S. into a, a ground fight more. Which, I, I mean, it, you know, if you look at some of the Christian fundamentalists, they believe that Israel needs to take over the uh, West Bank and Gaza and and reestablish Jerusalem, and that will help bring the second coming of Christ. Maybe it's the same type of thing. They want to draw the new Rome into war and initiate Armageddon. Huh. Oh, all right. I don't know. That's that's. I, I don't have a whole but lot why, of fact yeah, to substantiate they, that. But but they never put out like a clear statement, right? <laughs> It's always, yeah, it's they need just, better PR people. Yeah, it's just death to America. And I don't know what that means. There's a whole bunch of us. You, you got a lot of work to do if that's your goal. <laughs> well, I think it's part of the same conundrum and the same problem of understanding why highly religious people believe what they believe because it's so foreign to my mind. I don't get it. So it's in a continuation of the same problem. 
Right. True. We kind of get stuck at the point where all this is really doing is crippling humanity and our ability to pr- progress as a species. I mean, really, that's what it boils down to as far it's as I'm concerned. slowing down evolution. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you can, yes. If, if you can stop progress, I mean, or if you can in- inhibit our ability to continue to survive. Because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, something like this, like you said, happened in general election, and that caused people mm-hmm. to get riled up, and Trump gets elected. Well, you can... Global warming is now a sure thing, right? Florida's gone because Trump mm. won't do anything. <laughs> I mean, we're we're really killing ourselves at that point. Uh, I think right. Noam Chomsky, who I disagree with fervently on a lot of things, but he just put out an article that I do agree with about he basically was like, if the Republican Party continues the way they are, they're dooming humanity. Like he's <laughs> he's he's not. Re- and then he goes on to explain how I'm not joking or over exaggerating. Like we're all doomed <laughs> if the Republicans win. I'm like, oh, that's cheery. <laughs> well, and he's right between between, you know, pissing off the rest of the world constantly and heating up the planet. And yeah, he, he's correct he, that we are they are bound and determined to, to kill the earth because there are no consequences because they'll just go to heaven. So except that they're mostly evil. Sigh. I think, uh, again, do you ever post our articles on our website? Links, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Links, okay, because I've been been further reading this Zubrick Hobby Lobby Burnwell case. Yes. And, uh, you know, the more I read, the more I understand about it. Okay. I, I'm, I'm understanding. Well, I'm just understanding more about the, the religion in the case. Their objection about the filling out the forms stems from in a case where they do have to fill out the forms. The insurance provider then contacts the employees on an individual basis to offer them contraception only plans to supplement the plans that no longer have the contraception in them. So they've got to head that off. Mm-hmm. And right, because the, all of this, the right, employees can just, still they, have access, right? Right. They don't want them to have any access. Not they don't want to, you know, not we're infringing on their religion by making them provide it through a third party by not providing it. And then I was reading more about the, you know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and how filling mm-hmm. out those two forms provides a substantial burden from those people exercising their religion. That is a substantial burden. <laughs> To their Christianity is filling out those two, the two page form that says we prefer not to give them contraception. Maybe if, if you could only fill out the form on Sunday morning and it prevented them from going to church. <laughs> That's the only window to have it filled and submitted. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It just, it, this show bums me out. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's lighten it up a little bit and talk about somebody stupid. <laughs> Jared, do you want to tell me about somebody stupid? <laughs> oh, I love. That's my favorite part of the show. <laughs> I will preface this story with a quote from the actual gentleman, and I'm going to let it sink in for a minute, all right? From Noah's flood to my front yard, how much better can it get? Just <laughs> sit on that for a second and think about it, <laughs> all right? So I, I'll try to make this quick, too, since mine are short stories. A man in Texas was working on his aunt's house in the yard and found some fossils and using his vast scientific knowledge of nothing determined that these fossils were from Noah's flood and the ark itself I assume <laughs> and the other part of this story that struck me as great was that his claims were founded is that the word I'm looking for yeah, that would be the opposite of unfounded yes are founded by the director of a anti-science museum <laughs> 
I didn't know these existed, but it does. Like it's labeled itself as anti-science? It says here, a Texas man says he found fossils from Noah's Flood, in quotes, by the way, and the director of an anti-science museum that claims evolution is in old-fashioned theory is supporting him. Wayne Probst is the man who found the stuff. The Mount Mount Blanco Fossil Museum. Yeah, that's the anti-science <laughs> yeah. one. Is Joe Taylor, if you want to find his Yelp page. <laughs> but unfortunately, a real scientist took a, I guess, a quick look at the pictures of the fossils and said they are actually much older than from the flood. They're about 35 to 40 million years old and are fairly common and nothing unusual. <laughs> but what amazes me is, well, one, do you honestly believe that he thinks they're from the flood? Oh, yeah. You oh, really yeah. think he believes that or was he just like... Trying to get in the hey, news. Hey, man, here's a way to get famous. Get my picture on the internet. And apparently it worked. <laughs> well, it did. Well, he made the Huffington Post. I could do that tomorrow if I wanted to. But. <laughs> oh, poor Huffington Post. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, I was going to say, do you think he orchestrated it for attention? Or do you think he believes it in, like, uh, in that, like, childlike wonderment way? Like, you know, I'm digging, you know, out in the backyard when, when I'm eight. And I find deer skull, and I'm convinced it's a dinosaur. Absolutely convinced. Like even well, even despite the evidence to the contrary, I was the co- world's youngest paleontologist. <laughs> there's a couple ways it could have gone down. He could have been whatever he was doing in the backyard, found the fossils, set them aside for a minute, looked at them later, thought about it, and said, "Hey, this I might be get money off of this. Maybe I could sell these to the anti science museum. They'll take anything. Those <laughs> fucking retards." <laughs> You know, and then started and called the newspaper and made his claim. That's one way it happened. It could have also happened where this guy is just a complete dipshit, picked up these fossils, immediately thought they look old, must be from the flood, started telling his friends and neighbors who and all these people live in Texas. So they all probably believed it. And then the news picked it up from there. But I don't know. The thing I don't understand is how did he make the leap from finding a fossil in his backyard to Noah's flood? I mean, is it because it's a snail and the snails don't grow in Texas currently? I, I don't understand. Maybe. I don't know. It, the, the article didn't go that in depth, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> they didn't want to ask that one question is, how do you know about the, you know, actual important part of the story? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there are, there are, even if, I mean, Texas is a big state. I mean, he could be away. I don't know where he is in Texas. He could be away from the coast. But there are land snails, too. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a snail from water. I, I, how do you make that leap? Oh. That's why. That's why I asked. <laughs> do you think he just made it up, or did he actually believe? Yeah, I, I'm you thinking know? it possible. I have to go meet the man in person. I'll do that next week, guys. I'll bring this story back around. <laughs> go, go meet him, see what he's claim. like. Is it? Is it really like? Call, is it called an anti-science museum, or is it just a creationist museum? It's probably a creationist museum. They call it an anti-science museum. The guy's <laughs> name is Joe Taylor. He's director and curator of the Mount Blanco. Well, let's. There's a fucking link here. Let's click on it. Yeah. See what it says. <laughs> this is the anti. Okay, the Mount Blanco Holy Fossil crap. Museum. I'm sorry, I just saw a picture of Joe Taylor. This guy is. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, he looks like. Uh, he looks <laughs> like your typical paleontologist. He looks hmm? like Gandalf gone south redneck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. <Sorry. laughs> wait, wait, I gotta read this. I'm Joe Taylor, the director and curator of the Mount Blanco Fossil Museum. If you like fossils, dinosaur digs, and other old things, you have come to the right place. So far, we're on the right track here. Check the news reports 
We want to show you why we don't believe that evolutionary theory or the million of years concept is good science. <laughs> Joe Taylor, no PhD, no nothing. <laughs> He's just a guy. That's great. Yeah, it's a scientific <laughs> and educational institution dedicated to a correct interpretation of Earth history and fossil remains. Oh, dear. Uh, where is it? Where's Mount? What's it called? It's Mount, near Lubbock, Texas. Mount Blanco. Oh, man. That's not convenient. Oh, Blanco. <laughs> Mount Blanco. I, I need something... I need something that I can road trip to. Crosby Town, Texas. No dice. Crosby Town. Well, that was fascinating, though. <laughs> I mean, that that's a whole other show worth a <laughs> hornet's nest. I know what I'm getting you for your birthday in a couple weeks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hopefully I'm it's not two you. tickets to, to the Anti-Science Museum. No, no, no. That would be great. If I had the money, I would totally do that for you. But I am definitely getting you. It's been strange being here on Earth. E-R-T-H, by the way, spelt that way. The story of Joe Taylor. <laughs> oh, oh don't, man. Please don't give him money. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I feel this is worth it. <laughs> I was going to say, couldn't you just get me uh, a bowl of Mopal tofu at the noodle house at the casino or something? All right. <laughs> um, um, you know, I do like the thought and creativity behind the, the, the Joe Taylor and his time on Earth, but um, I got to support Karen on this one. I can't, I can't give that man money. <laughs> okay. Any anybody who throws around the old "it's just a theory" argument makes me so sad in my heart of hearts. Mm. I'm like, well, either you're a bad person, or maybe you just don't know what the word theory means. <laughs> right. That could be it. That could be it. That that's the majority. Yeah. I haven't heard it from him recently, but there, I know there have been, ar- quote, archaeological expeditions to um, mountains in Western Europe looking for like Mount Ararat, is it? Looking for Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these are, you know, geared up people searching for a big boat on oh, the top sure. of a mountain. I was going to say these are the same. Uh, I think these searches were featured on a certain television program voiced over by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it absolutely was. I remember that Man, in search of. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> <clears throat> they went a little off the rails with that particular episode, I think, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, they followed it with Bigfoot, Karen, so it's not like they were really rooted in science. <laughs> True. I am shocked at how many books Joe Taylor has written. <laughs> hmm. The only shocking part is that he got them published somehow. You can write any number of books, but Getting them actually out there. That's the, uh... Well, recent television commercials have told me that our publisher's not talking to you. All you have to do is call us, blah, 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 publishing company, and we'll publish your book for you. Wow. This is about to get weirder. Do you know what Joe Taylor used to do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He used to be a photographer for album art, and there's a picture of him standing in front of a Three Dog Night album cover that he did. (laughs) And there's a book of it. This I love this guy. I gotta find out more about him. <laughs> oh man, uh, Olivia Newton-John, mellow. Yeah, he did the f- photo shoot for that. Wow, <laughs> Peter Frampton, Joe Cocker. So he smoked way too much pot, is what you're saying here? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unrelated segue, just because you you brought up her name, um, and again, I haven't fully depth like dove into the story to find out all the background, but uh, they found Olivia Newton, the Olivia Newton-John's missing boyfriend. After 11 years, right? Yeah! That's crazy. 11 years! He's like, I'm fine. I was just kidding. (laughs) I don't don't think I know this story. She has a missing boyfriend? She had a missing boyfriend. He's been found. He just vanished one day? Yep. 11 years ago. He got better. Okay. (laughs) He was just hiding from her? (laughs) Um, I will tell you later. Okay. (laughs) I hope not. She seems nice. Yeah, she does. 
So to circle back around, I just saw this line and I thought it was perfect. To circle back around to the whole contraception thing, there's a meme that I found that says, the people who believe that abstinence is the only correct birth control also believe that a virgin got pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a quote from Joe Taylor? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I think that's what we have for this week. We're going to wrap it up. If you would like to comment on anything that we have said, please feel free to go to profaneargument.com and fill out the little discuss form comment section and let us know what you think. In any case, thank you all for listening. And until next time, I'm Ray. I'm Karen. I'm Jared. This is Ian. Thank you, everyone. Good night, and may your God go with you. Right, so Karen, apparently, back in 2005, a man dating uh, Olivia Newton-John named Patrick McDermott filed for bankruptcy and then died. Well, it turns out he faked his own death to avoid the bankruptcy and has been living in a suburb of Puerto Vallarta for the last 10 years, or 11 years. Must have been a hell of a, wow, he must know a lot.